When I was an apprentice, we used to get trade magazines. I'm making the tea one day and picking the post up for the men. A trade magazine come in and uh, while I was, the kettle was boiling, I'm thumbing through it and there was an article on Pietro Santa and Carrara. And I thought, God, I'd love to go there. At the time, uh, being green, you could say, as I was, I thought, how can someone like me go to Italy? I mean, Italy was, it had that glamour and, you know, film stars and the good life. I thought, I can't go to Italy, you know, and uh, the language and so on, you know. But then working in Australia with the Italians, and uh, I just thought, sod it. Hi, this is Materially Speaking, where artists tell their stories through the materials they choose. In this series, I'm talking with artists and artisans in a community in northern Italy around a town called Pietrasanta, near the marble mountains of Carrara. The area is known for its natural beauty, with sea and pine forests on one side and olive groves on hillsides which rise up into the Apuan Alps on the other. Pietrasanta has a long tradition of carving marble and has been nicknamed Little Athens. Today we hear the story of Martin Foote, a Liverpudlian sculptor, carver and restorer who found his way here in a rather roundabout way. We met in his studios on the outskirts of Pietrasanta, a large industrial space with high windows from which the light streamed down. The high window sills were lined with marble busts of bearded men and portrait heads of children. His workbench was packed with measuring rulers, sanding blocks, hammers and jam jars holding his enormous collection of chisels. On his shelves were numerous samples of architectural carvings, a large number of small classical statues and circles like large coins with human faces and animals carved in low relief. My name's Martin Foss. I'm a sculptor, carver. I never consider myself as an artist, but I suppose some people do. Uh, I fall into a, a strange category because uh, I do a bit of everything, you know. How did you start? I was born in Liverpool in uh, 1958 on the Dock Road. I used to work on like weekends and summer holidays for my uncle, who had a stonemasonry business. So that was from about 13. I remember seeing uh, the men there working uh, with wooden mallets and making all these lovely things to go on buildings. I just thought, I'd like to do that. I was sold. So I ended up doing an apprenticeship with him and worked on lots of public buildings, churches, and working on them, you know, sort of opens a whole new world. You know, the more you learn about something, the more you see. Being in Liverpool, like there's lots of wonderful public buildings with ornament and sculpture on them, and curiosity sets in then and you'd always want to push the boundaries. I started off doing flat surfaces by hand and then, you know, you want to do moulding, then you want to put ornaments on and you want to move on from there. 
at school, I passed my O-level. I think I got a grade one a year before my time. After I, I passed, I asked the art master what, I, what he recommended. And his opinion was find a job where I could apply my skills to. He said most people who go to art school, they end up stacking shelves in supermarkets when they come out or they can't get a job, they can't make money. He said, so if you find a job that pays and you can use your creativity, probably the best advice I had. I took his advice and I thought, you know, this has got, this type of work's got a bit of what I need. I also like the outdoors. I certainly was then a, a workaholic. I'm cured now, <laughs> I'm glad to say. But it, it is addictive, this job, you know, and uh, I have got a hard work nature about me. I said my apprenticeship with him. So who was him, sorry? Yeah, my uncle. Oh, your uncle, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a difficult uh, time. He wasn't an easy man. Coming up to 19, 20, I had 19, I think it was, when I finished. I just wanted a taste of something else and a week after my apprenticeship was finished I left and <laughs> uh, much to his surprise and uh, I went to Sydney Australia with a, a couple of mates it was a cheap passage I think it cost 65 pound at the time one way <laughs> I arrived in Sydney uh, with these two mates and I got on the train and uh, into the city centre. I got off at Town Hall. I saw the Town Hall all in sandstone and ornate building, full of scaffold, all scaffold around it. thought, this looks interesting. Spoke to some men there. They sent me to another site. The man there, the boss, he put me on the phone to the main boss, and uh, he was an English bloke called Alf Turnbull. He said, you're a scout, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, have you got your tools with you? I said, yeah. He said, when can you start? So what sort of work were you doing for him? It was, they were all Italian workforce, and we were working there. At that time, uh, 1977, they just ploughed millions into... Uh, a big restoration project on all the public buildings. So there's lots of carving and, uh, you know, capitals and gargoyles and all things like that. Young 19-year-old leaving Liverpool, and I think I was in about three times as much money as I was in Liverpool. And Great work, great opportunity. And was that restoration work, it's just, I don't know, is it done in situ or you have pieces that you do in studios and then they get... A, a bit of both. I, I used to work in Britain, I don't know if it's still like this now. I worked on Big Ben Houses of Parliament in the early 80s and that was all done in situ. It was extremely cold working on the riverfront, carving gargoyles and the likes ornaments on the building. In Australia, I, I went to a school of anatomy there, which I loved, and it sort of fired me up again to 
do more figurative work. And we studied anatomy and the Stephen Wesley Gord was the, uh, the art master and he was excellent. I mean, that was a big turning point for me. I knew then I wanted to move on a little bit, like get into figurative sculpture. In 93, I started getting private commissions for portrait busts and again being more ambitious and wanting a bigger piece of the pie type of thing. I thought, it's time to go to Italy, it's now or never. So, and when I landed there, that was a, there was no going back. I mean, it's just, I thought I'd landed in heaven. Why was that? At that time, 96, I first came here. Like, even in the town centre, there was workshops everywhere. You know, there was lots of old-school sculptors and carvers. And I mean, I, I always say I got, got here at the end of a golden age. There was a way of life about it. It was a... Pietro Santa then was like a dusty, dusty provincial town. Plus then, you know, the place itself, you know, the beauty that surrounds it, the food, wine, the sea. So there was no way I was going back to England, I'm afraid. <laughs> and what about the marble? Was that...? I mean, I was like a sponge then. I just wanted as much information as I could get my hands on. And there wasn't enough hours in the day, you know, as there never is. As much experience as I had, there was still, and I realised that before I left England, a lot more to learn. You know, I mean, this is... A, you're working in a town like Pietro Santa, it's small, compact, and there's competition in a big way. You know, and they've been working marble here for hundreds of years, so they find ways, they're inventive, extremely inventive, the Italians, and creative. Over hundreds of years, they've found the best ways to do it. And all that uh, has changed immensely today. Probably the first thing was the, the American uh, market collapsed when the euro came in. Then you had the, the build-up of the Chinese market. And I think taste as well. Uh, you know, if you're maybe in 1980, 1990, someone who's made, a, you know, money in the 45 and they're retired and they like some classical statues or busts and around the house. Uh, but I don't think that's the case anymore. And then on top of all that, you've got technology. If you've got an old artisan who's got his lean-to workshop at the back of his house, and someone comes along and says, we'll give you 500,000 for it. But it's just a way of life, I mean. Everything changes, and at the end of the day, you've got to adapt to change. You know, I've got a great belief in the youth. If a young person sees someone creating a, a classical figure in marble by hand, you know, I'm sure it's going to have the same effect on them as it did, you know, 30, 50, 100 years ago. I had people in there yesterday, uh, 
visiting and they, they were just blown away. They'd never seen anything like it. If you give young people the opportunity, I mean, they'll take it. We're responsible for them. I mean, I, I have lots of people who come by and, you know, they need help and they'll work with me for a couple of months and, I, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to help them. I'm only sorry I've not got more time to give them. I mean, I, I had the fear that God put into me when I was a young lad, you know, if I made a mess of that, what was going to happen? And so the first thing I always say to someone who's working here, don't worry about making mistakes. I say, you cannot make a mistake. You know, what's a mistake? It's a mistake if you don't learn by an error. So can we talk a bit about <coughs> the work you're doing now? And other question is, what are your favourite marbles? I work an awful lot in statuary marble. I'm working on a project at the moment. I spent about 12 months on and off in my free time looking for the marble because I had to make the clay model first. So while I'm working on the model, I'm looking for... And I could never find anything. I mean, looking for marble is a minefield. I mean, the whole marble business, it's, you know, you can have big setbacks. Even the most experienced marble carvers, you know, you can buy a block and it can look great on all sides and then you cut into it and you've got a, a, a vein where you don't want one or a mark on the face or a defect. This project I'm working on now, just by chance, I came across a, a block while I was looking for something other than that. It's a Carrara marble, but it really is beautiful. And it makes a world of difference to the whole work process because, it, you know, you, sometimes you can get marble and it can be hard as hell. You know, if you're working on it for five months or whatever it may be, it can just make it so much more... Difficult. So what's special about this marble? What's special? It works really well, first and foremost. It really works well. Really uniform in colour. There's no uh, impurities or veins. So can you describe this piece since this is a oral project? And also tell us the process. So you start with a... It's uh, an effigy. The process is I produced a clay model. From the clay model, I never actually made the plaster cast. It was very complicated to do. Uh, so that here in Pietrasanta, one of the great things about being here is everything is on your doorstep. And there's people specialised in all different aspects of the, the work. Also, there's like shops like corner shops that sell every tool and whatever material you wish. Uh, so at the... The mould was made, the plastic cast was produced by a specialist. That is then the working model from which you produce the marble from. So all points of reference are taken from that. And you do restoration work as well? Is that all? Yeah, I work in bronze, marble. Uh, I really enjoy working in terracotta, producing terracotta. I think it's a beautiful... It's very honest, I think, terracotta. 
every touch is visible. Working in marble, it's very, it's slow. And as I say, it, there's lots of complications involved. It's heavy. You need a mountain of tools and equipment. Having said that, it's, a, it's what I love about it, the challenge. And can I ask a bit about <clears throat> your studio? I've had a number of studios here in Piazza Santa, and I hope that this is the last one. I'd say I've had six studios since I've been here. And every year that passes, you accumulate more tools and more plaster casts. And every year that passes, you get older. <laughs> <laughs> no, <sure>. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the will to be humping all this stuff from studio to studio, God. Yeah, the last place was a beautiful studio in the middle of town, and it was very romantic. It had the death floor, and, but it wasn't practical, really, and I knew I had to get out. When I took this place on that, it was just a, a box, basically, so I had to not only move everything now to build this and make it what it is now, but uh, it was a lot of hard work. I think it took me a year to get over that. But so when did you move here? The beginning of 2016, February. And I love the way you've painted uh, the walls a kind of a blue, so your pieces, it's a little bit like a Wedgwood, if I may yeah, say so, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says... No, I, I really like it here. I like this. I like the view of the hills and the mountains outside and uh, the pine trees and everything. It's, and it's very practical. Yeah. There's less complaints about noise. And no, one, no one complains. Are you allowed to work any hours? Any work? hour, any hour. Yeah. It's not, it, it isn't really a good thing no, because... Not. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to tell me to, <laughs> to stop work. about the sort of things you've done, you're proud of. I'm sure you're proud of all your work, but you know what I mean. Well, not all of it, no. Uh, like, I mean, whether you're a musician, a writer or whatever, you know, you look at your past work and, you know, sometimes you cringe and sometimes you think, oh, you know, could have done this a bit better. Or a conservation centre, wonderful place in Liverpool. Actually, it was, uh, that would have been 96, 1996, and I, reproduced a marble statue on top of the art gallery. It was a huge thing, about two and a half metres high. It was prepared in China for economical reasons. I think it was a 41-ton block, and I worked on it for about uh, six months, I think. Unfortunately, I never ever got any recognition for that, which I, I'm sure to get used to that, actually. But <laughs> it was a political thing, I was told, because they didn't want to upset the people from China. So they upset me instead. <laughs> Some people uh, strive for recognition and success, which is what is success. I learned from that experience with the uh, Spirit of Liverpool, it's called, the piece of sculpture. So I was really disappointed at the time. Uh, felt short-changed. I thought, in hindsight, though, it's a waste of energy wanting that. It wasn't just for me, it was people who were close to me, who I wanted them to be happy. 
it wasn't so much a personal thing for me. I mean, you've got to let those things go. They eat you to life. You know, people strive for recognition and, I mean, at the end of the day, breathing in and out's a big deal, and I mean. So, uh, maybe your own creative work? How does that fit in? I used to have a lot more time between work. I built up, uh, I don't know, maybe seven or eight pieces just before I moved here. I did an exhibition in Hong Kong and things went well. Since then, I have to say, I've, I've probably been too busy to do any of my own work. In actual fact, there's a piece over there on the plastic that I started last August. <laughs> I've been wetting it down and wetting it down and I just never get time to do it. And technology, that's the last thing I think I was going to ask you is, um, well, how has your working practice changed in the last... So you came here 20... Two years ago, yeah. I've used technology very, very little. I work uh, and have done since 98, I think, uh, with a company in London who restore chimney pieces, period chimney pieces. And uh, I used to do everything by hand. And then I started getting them roughed out by a, a machine and take it on from there. But even that was very limited. That was about the extent of me and technology. I, if the great sculptors of the past were alive today, I'm sure they would use it. But the, I, I think, having said that, I think they would use it in a more intelligent way. I'm not tarring everyone with the same brush. Too many people say too many shortcuts with technology. You still have to finish a piece when it comes off a robot, but the quality of the finishing is slipping away as well. Working in restoration and so on, the valuable thing that it has, you're looking on at original pieces, so you're seeing the level that you have to achieve. If you're not aware of it and you, you're not studying it, you'll never get there. You've got to know where, how high the bar is. A lot of people compare their work with the man or woman next to them. I would say, you know, if you want to know how good you are, go into one of the beautiful art galleries and look at that work. So thanks to Martin Foote. You can see his work on his website, martinfoot.com, and follow him on Instagram, martin.foot.sculptor. For photographs of all the work discussed today, you can also follow our Instagram or visit our website, materiallyspeaking.com. And do join the mailing list to hear more about upcoming shows.